Well, good morning. It's great to be with you all. I'm so thankful to be here, and I'm so thankful for Desert Springs. Ash and I love college ministry, and we love to be there ministering to those students. And this congregation makes that possible for us. And so I am overwhelmed with joy to be able to come and share God's Word with you this morning and give back uh, a little bit from what you have given us. So thank you, again, just for the way you support the ministry, you pray for us, the way you minister to the students. It really is a testimony to the city uh, about loving the university. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3? We'll be looking at the first 17 verses. Actually, we'll be looking at the first four verses, but I will read the first 17. And we'll camp out there, but we'll make quite a few excursions away from this passage to help us understand it a little more. So I'll read it, and then I'll pray for the preaching of the Word. This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self self, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, cir- here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a compliant, uh, complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come as your people. We come as those that long to know you. We come as those that long to hear from you. We come as those that long to be fixed by you. Lord, we want to hear you this morning. We want to see Jesus. Because in Jesus is our life. He is our death and he is our resurrection. And we have no hope outside of him. 
So God, would you send your Holy Spirit even now as we look at your word? Would you pierce our hard hearts? And would you humble us as your people? That as we leave this sanctuary, we would become different. Not because of the preacher's words, but because of the Holy Spirit working in us. We thank you for your word. Be with us now in Christ's name. Amen. December 4th, 2001 was one of those days. And I'm sure some of you have had those days. Those days that are seared on your mind that you'll never forget. Some of those days for you are your wedding. The day that you pledged your love to your spouse. You'll never forget that day. Maybe some of you, uh, one of those days is somebody's death. That you'll never forget that person. Well, for me, December 4th, 2001 was a day that I will never forget because I was headed back from Oxford, Mississippi, where I was doing an RUF internship. I had been there for a year, uh, well, actually six months. I've been there for six months, and I was headed back for Christmas vacation. And on that short ride, 70 miles up Highway 78, my heart sank because I knew I was going to celebrate my wife or my fiancé at that time's birthday. But it's something inside of me as I'd battled through our engagement for the uh, previous five months, I knew that I couldn't marry this woman. I knew it wasn't right for us to be engaged at that moment. And the intense, emotional, gut-wrenching feeling of kind of being out there by yourself was overwhelming on that car ride. And I'll never forget it. And some of you today know days where you've actually felt that. you felt overwhelmed by grief. Or maybe you felt overwhelmed by joy. And it's a day you'll never forget. Some of you in here uh, are struggling and you need Jesus. And I want today to be a day that you never forget. I want today to be a day that you get exposed to who Jesus really is. And the real essence of what it means to be a Christian. This past week I did a lecture on Reformed Theology to a graduate uh, ministry on campus. And I really was struck on as I was studying Reformed theology, what really is the epicenter of Reformed theology? What is it? Some of us would raise our hands and say, well, it's justification by faith alone. Well, John Calvin wouldn't agree with you on that. Neither would Sinclair Ferguson. Neither would John Murray. All these theologians that we submit ourselves to and listen to. The essence of Reformed theology is our union with Jesus, is being united to him in every way. You see, salvation is like a diamond. It has many different facets. Some of those facets, or one of those facets, is justification by faith alone. Other ones are adoption, uh, sanctification, glorification. All these are facets of ultimately the epicenter of Reformed theology, which is our union with Jesus. And this morning, I want to talk to you about that. I want us to get down to the nuts and bolts of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to love Jesus. So would you walk through me, walk with me through this passage this morning? First, before we dive in, I want to do a little um, review of really what is going on in this book of Colossians. Paul in the book is really laying out the glories of Jesus, of who he is as a person. 
how preeminent He is to be in all our lives. If you would, turn with me real quick, just one page over in your Bible, and look at chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. And listen to these words on how Paul describes this person, Jesus. He says this, he is, the inv- he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is, born, he is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul's laying out the beauty of Jesus, of who he is, and why he means so much to us. He is the, he is the expression of the invisible God to us. I've told my students many times, he's the walkable, talkable, huggable God. That, that people got to touch, people got to experience, people got to hug. And one day, we too will do that as we're ushered into the heavenlies with Him. And Paul, he lays out who this person Jesus is to these people at Colossae. And what he's doing is he's basically grounding them in their union with Christ. In the last part of our passage where Paul goes into the imperative, he tells them, die to these things, die to these uh, sexual immorality, die to slander and to wrath. Paul's not saying, die to these things, put these things to death, and then Jesus will love you. No, Paul is doing the indicative, uh, he's, he's, he's stating the indicative before the imperative. He's saying, you are here in Jesus. You are united to Him by faith. And this is the person you're united to. Let me tell you about him. Now that you know that, go out and put to death the things in your life. Because they have no part of you anymore. Because you're united to Jesus. I basically just have two points this morning. We're united to Christ in His death, and we're united to Christ in His resurrection. So let's first look at how we were united to Christ in His death. And our passage, verse 3, says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul there uses the aorist tense of that verb. It's a past tense, a simple past tense, that it's already happened, that you have died in Christ. By means of your faith in Jesus this morning, the Bible would tell us that you died. You died on that cross 2,000 years ago because you are united to Him by faith. So some, but, but some of us in here would ask, well, why? Why did I have to die? Well, you had to die because... Well, the very beginning of the Bible tells us that. That God entered into a covenant relationship with Adam and Eve. Did he not? And he promised them life and fruitfulness and joy and peace and loving kindness under one condition. And that was, do not eat of the tree or the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know from the Bible that Adam and Eve did that. And what they basically did was they opened up Pandora's box of sin. And it rushed into us and alienated us from God. And from that moment on, we stand before God guilty as charged. We're all sinners because of Adam's first sin. Now, this is hard for us to to grasp because I wasn't there in the garden. 
So why am I a sinner? I was there. I didn't eat the fruit. But you were there. Because Adam, the Bible tells us, is our federal head. He represented us before God in that covenant relationship. And so when Adam made a mistake, when Adam gave in to his desire to be his own God, he fell. And we fell with him because Adam represented us. Very much like President Bush represents us now to the nations. And when President Bush does something, he represents us, whether we like it or not. He is our president, and he represents us. Well, Adam represented us, and he fell. And what he brought with him was wickedness and shame and guilt because of sin. Now, what do we do with that? How do we deal with our sin? Well, Paul here says we've died to our sin. How can that be? Well, it's because Jesus died for our sins. Jesus went to the cross to alleviate or to evaporate that guilt and that sin that we feel. So much so, when we are united to Jesus there on that cross, it's as if we're dead to sin. If you have your Bibles, turn with me real quick to Romans chapter 6. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, <clears throat> so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You see what Paul's saying? Jesus went to the cross. And he died. He atoned for our sins. He paid for our sins. Each and every one of you this morning that puts your faith in Jesus Christ, he paid for your individual sins. Your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. He paid for it all. And all to him we owe, says the hymn. Not only did he pay for it, but he freed us from it. We're freed from sin by virtue of our union with Christ this morning. Because we are there with Jesus on that cross, the Bible tells us. We're united to Him in His death. And you're freed from the guilt and the pollution of sin. It's as if it's dead to you. Some of you in here might be um, life aquatic fans. Some of you may not be. There's one scene in there where Steve Zizou looks at his best friend Klaus and says, you're dead to me. It's as if that relationship doesn't exist. And what I'm trying to articulate to you this morning is that sin and the, the pollution and the guilt of sin is dead to you. It no longer has any bearing or any power over you. I was this week just surfing the internet reading a blog called fullbelly.com. Maybe this will make a little more sense. This guy is writing about a review. He's writing a review on a restaurant he attended. And listen to what he says. While I was discussing negative, or while we're discussing negative reviews, I might as well say the latest establishment to make itself dead to me is the bar Hi-Fi on Avenue A. 
Went there with friends recently during happy hour, and, charm, and, and the charmless bartender served me the absolute worst pint of Guinness ever. So flat and nasty that it made people wince to taste it. So awful that it made the most disgusting beer I'd had previously, a Rheingold, seem drinkable in comparison. It was so bad it put me, it put me off of drinking for the night. A friend took it back to the bar to swap it for a Coke, and the bartender didn't taste it to check what was wrong or even tried to apologize. Nice booths, a pool table, and the best jukebox in East Village. Whatever. Hi-fi, you are dead to me. Do you see what he's saying? This bar committed the unforgivable sin. He served a bad Guinness to this man. <laughs> and that's the unforgivable sin for those that go out and they enjoy... A Guinness. And it turned him off so much that he communicates that bar is dead to him. He'll never think about it. He'll never have any association with it. He'll never visit it ever again when he thinks to go out and drink with his buddy. That bar, Hi-Fi on Avenue A in New York City, is dead to him. Well, our union, in Christ, our union with Christ this morning comes to us and says, You are dead to sin. You are dead to the guilt and the pollution of sin. It has no part on you. It has no bearing in your life. By means of your union with Jesus Christ and His death. We have all died to sin this morning if you put your faith in Jesus. No longer does it have any bearing on you. We've died to the guilt of sin. Some of us in here are guilty people. We have guilty consciences. And we're very easily manipulated by guilt. I think that's just an emotional manifestation of a spiritual reality. You think you're still guilty before God. You're not. You're freed from that. No longer do you stand before God and God gazes down upon you, upon you with a frown and in anger and in wrath. Christ atoned for your sins on that cross. And in a very real way, you atone for your sins with Him. Because you are present there on the cross with Jesus by virtue of your union with Him. You aren't guilty before God anymore. Also, we died to the pollution of sin. I think this is a little harder for us to grasp because we're dealing with it on a daily basis as we take up our cross and seek to live a Christian life. We all have sin. It all seems to rear its ugly head at times. We act unkindly to our wives. Or we speak unkindly to our children. Or we disrespect our parents. Or we entertain certain thoughts uh, because of, of the internet. Because of certain magazines. Sin, sin still exists, and it's still powerful. But it has no power over you. Because that power has been defeated in Jesus. I'm a big fan of the Lord of the Rings series. It's basically been immortalized because of the movies. And I'm sure a lot of us in here have read it. And one of my favorite scenes in that book is or in the book and the movie, is at the very end, at the climax. If you haven't read the book, haven't seen the movie, tune me out. Think of something else real quick. 
where Frodo and Samwise Gamgee, his good friend, they go into Mount Doom and they have that ring. They have the ring of power. And Frodo is going to drop this ring into the middle of Mount Doom and have it destroyed. And its power cease because it's destroyed. And we see Frodo step up to the edge, about to drop this ring into this river of lava and destroy it. And what does he do? He stops. The ring's power is too much for him. It turns him back. And he looks at Samwise and says, no, I'm not going to destroy this ring. But then our good little friend, Gollum, is ushered into this scene, right? His little precious, and he longs to have that ring. And what does he do? He fights Frodo for it. And eventually, he bites off his finger and takes the ring. And as he's looking at it and singing glorious things about it, he pays no attention, and he falls into the middle of Mount Doom. And the ring is destroyed. And the very next scene in the book and in the movie is what? It's Frodo. And he's waking up in Rivendell. And there's a peaceful uh, um, demeanor about him. And he's relaxed. And the light is shining through. There's no more darkness. Because the ring has been destroyed. It has no power over him. Ladies and gentlemen, we all at one time wore a ring. But now it's been destroyed in Jesus. It has no power over you. Sin, the guilt and the pollution of sin, has no power over you. Would you know that this morning, as you put your faith in Jesus, you are united to Him in His death. We're not only united to Him in His death, we're united to Him in His resurrection. Look at verse... Uh, one, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Growing up, I loved to play basketball. I'm a huge basketball fan. A lot of the students in here know that. I love to shoot hoops. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh. And every afternoon in elementary school, I used to go home I used to pick up my basketball. I used to sit in my carport and shoot baskets constantly. Just over and over and over again. And make you know, amazing moves on these invisible, invisible defenders and take the ball to the hoop. I loved basketball. And more than anything, I loved, spend, I loved to play basketball with my dad. Because my dad taught me how to play. And every afternoon, my dad would come home from work. And he would come by as I was shooting baskets. And he would tell me, he would give me some instruction on how I might become a better basketball player. Parker, you need to shoot a jump shot. When you get into high school, the guys are going to be bigger and faster than you are. These set shots, they're not going to work. You need to learn to jump and shoot it at the pinnacle of your jump. Parker, you need to learn how to dribble with your left hand. In elementary school, that's fine. But when you get in high school, uh, that's going to cause you trouble. Guys are going to figure that out, and they're going to play you to your, your left hand. And he would give me instructions, and then he would go inside, and he would kiss my mom hello, and they would talk about their day. But every once in a while, my dad would stop, and as he was giving me instructions, he would take the ball, and he would shoot it. And almost every time he would make it. And when he took the ball and he shot it, he would also go back inside and, and say hello to my mom. 
But that little basketball, that little moment where he'd take the ball and shoot it, guaranteed to me that he would come back outside and spend the afternoon with me playing basketball. Just that one shot always guaranteed me that he would come back and play basketball with me. This morning, as we think about Jesus' resurrection, we think about it that way, right? That Christ died and he rose from the dead. And that guaranteed me my resurrection. That one day I will rise from the dead. And that's true. And that's right. Look in, uh, look to me in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to what Paul says about our resurrection. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. But in, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ... Uh, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits... Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. It's right to think of our resurrection as a guarantee because Jesus raised from the dead. But I want to stop this morning because that's not what Paul's talking about. Look at our passage. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ. There he uses an aorist passive verb, a very strong past tense verb. He's saying that you've already been raised from the dead. It's not, you will be raised from the dead. Now that's true, and we affirm that. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. But Paul's not talking about that this morning. He's talking about it's already happened in Jesus. If this morning you put your faith in Christ, and you're united to Him in His death and in His resurrection... You have been ushered into the heavenly and you seat and you're seated there with Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father. Now I know that's hard for you to understand. Paul goes on and tells us it's a mystery. But just because it's a mystery doesn't mean it's not true and doesn't mean we don't need to hear it. The Lord's Supper is a mystery. How in the world am I partaking of the body and blood of Christ? Well, it's by faith. I'm being nourished that way. The Trinity is a mystery. Is it not? God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. All these are mysteries of the Bible. And the Bible speaks of them. Well, this morning, I want to put another mystery. Or give you another mystery. And that's that you have been united to Jesus and His resurrection. In a very real way, right now, you've been ushered into the heavenlies with Jesus. Because you're united to Him by faith. Do you understand the freedom that is in that? That you are present with Jesus Christ this morning. He's not out there. Yes, we can't see Him physically. But He's in here. He's in our hearts. And He lives in us. And we live in Him. Now, what are the implications of this? Well, first, um, He makes us alive. By means of our united, uh, being united to Jesus in His resurrection, we're made alive again. We once were dead, now we're alive. Look in, uh, look back with me uh, to chapter 1, verse 27. 
listen to what Paul says here. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery. Here he calls it a mystery. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ lives in you. It is the hope of our glory that Christ lives in you. Then look back over here uh, in verses 11 and following in chapter 2. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. This is the second place that Paul's talking about. You've already been raised from the dead. Already you've been raised from the dead by virtue of your union with Christ. And you've been made alive because of that. You're alive to God. No longer is God looked down on you with anger and resentment and frustration. But he looks at you, he looks at you with a smile and he sings over you. He's delighted in you. He loves you. Only because you're united to Jesus. And He loves His Son. You've been made alive. Secondly, and lastly, the implications of this is, and I've been telling my students, I've been trying to articulate it better. You don't have a life anymore. Now, what do I mean by that? Look with me to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This is what Paul says. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And then jump back to our passage. In verse 4, Paul writes this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The point is this, when you're united to Christ in his death and you're united to Christ in his resurrection, Paul is saying is you don't have a life anymore. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. Paul says you're hidden in Christ before God. Jesus has wrapped his loving arms around you and you are hid in him. And so when God looks at you, he sees Christ. He sees Jesus. Now what does that mean for me on an everyday, practical, get up, go to work, come home life? What well, means that the hopes that you have in this life or the dreams that you have in this life or the aspirations that you have in this life need to die. They need, to be, they need to come alongside with Jesus and His mission. You need to live a life of sacrifice this morning. 
I want to challenge you. What are you living for? Are you living for retirement? Are you living to get out of school, make a job, uh, get a job, make a good living, get married, have a couple kids, and then be retired and travel the world and play golf all the time? Is that what you're living for? Are you living for a spouse? You're constantly looking around every corner to look for somebody that might love you, that you might pursue. And then my life will be complete. Maybe some of you are li- uh, living for a job. If I could just have that job that my friend has, I would be content. I would be happy. The Bible doesn't let you do that anymore. Your union with Christ doesn't allow you to think that anymore. Because Christ is your life. You are united to Him by faith. And that's why I titled this sermon, Jesus is Everything. He is everything. He is your life. He is your death. He is your resurrection. He is your glorification. He is your adoption. That's why we celebrate Jesus. Would you this morning think about your life? Think about the realities of you being united to Jesus. And how is that? Li- how are you living that out among your brothers and sisters? Are you dying to your desires? Are you just seeking an education at the University of Arizona so you can make money? Or are you seeking an education at the University of Arizona because you can serve the king wherever he calls you to go? Are you looking for uh, a promotion in your job for more money? Or are you looking for a promotion in your job so that you might serve the king? That you might be able to give more of your financial uh, wherewithal to see the kingdom advance? Where are you involved in mercy ministry? Where are you showing the love of Jesus to this city? How are you sacrificing your goals and your dreams this morning to bring the love of Christ to this city? I want to encourage you this morning to think like that because the Bible urges you to think like that. Because Jesus is everything. He is your life. And you are only accepted before God the Father because you are united to Him in His death and his, and his life, and His death, and His resurrection. Would you own that this morning? And would you leave here as different people? People that love Jesus because He is your life. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. And at times our love is shallow because we don't understand what you have purchased for us. Lord Jesus, we long to be with you. We long to be there. And the reality is, is we are there with you. Because we are united to you by faith this morning. Lord, send us out this morning as Christians, as people that articulate that we are in relationship with Jesus. And may that make a difference in our lives. 
Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it encourages us and gives us strength. We love you, Lord Jesus. Would you be with us now in Christ's name? Amen.